You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, we have come to the fourth Sunday of Advent, and throughout this season of Advent, our sermons have been taking us on a, a journey of the first four chapters of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a, is a fascinating book in the Old Testament. It's, it's one of the most... Uh, finely wrought uh, books in terms of the Greek that's there, but it's written by someone whose name we do not know to a people we're not sure where they were and about a problem that we can't quite identify. (laughs) Other than that, it's a great book. Um, Actually, the thing that makes it great is that there is this dominant resonant chord that strikes throughout the entire book, and that is the work of the writer to call our attention, firstly, primarily, completely, to the person and work uh, of Jesus Christ. There are some of the the finest um, memory verses that you can find in the New Testament in in the book of Hebrews because they so root our attention in in the person of Jesus. And it starts right off with that... um, that call to consider Jesus when uh, the writer says right at the beginning, in many and various ways God spoke to our mothers and fathers of old, but in these latter days he has uh, spoken to us by his son. And it is that call to attention to, to see Jesus, to consider Jesus, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus while we run the race of discipleship that the book of Hebrews primarily calls us to, that it is this living word, Jesus Christ, who transforms us and gives weight to our lives. That's the primary message of the book of Hebrews, so it's a a great message for the the, uh, Sundays of Advent. And last week, George took us through a portion of chapter 3, and what chapter 3 shares with chapter 4 that we will be looking at today is that both of them have an extended exposition of the 95th Psalm. And the 95th Psalm was written um, as a a kind of liturgy to remind people uh, of their their primary uh, work in life is is the worship of God and to to keep their ears open and to not harden their hearts like the people of Israel hardened their hearts just before they went into the land and and failed, as that Psalm says, to, to enter into God's rest. And so as they were on the verge, they did not... Uh, heed that warning to trust God and instead uh, failed to receive that invitation to rest. And so the writer of Hebrews comes to us in both chapters 3 and 4 to invite us to open our ears uh, to this, this mighty, transforming work of God in Jesus Christ and to not make the same mistake uh, as those who have gone before us. And so I want to read for us today, as the writer has, has spent his time uh, talking about this invitation to rest, uh, I, I want to uh, pick up the, the uh, text at verse 9 in chapter 4. So then a Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also cease from their labors as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one may fall through such a disobedience as theirs. Indeed, the word of God is a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, 
but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then, we have a high, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, by your Holy Spirit, let these words reveal the living word, Jesus, to us. That we might hear his invitation to us through these words to come and to receive that gift of rest. For we pray these things in his name. Amen. I don't know if it exists, but it probably does. But if there were a, a Cliff Notes version of the Bible, um, and I was had the responsibility of writing it, um, which is kind of an interesting thing to think about when you think, well, you know, how would you summarize the Bible? But the way I would do it and um, and kind of capture one of the central themes that really runs from Genesis to Revelation is that much of the Bible is dedicated to telling the story of God's invitation to us to rest and yet the corresponding story of our unwillingness to answer and to receive that invitation. God's story is that he made us for relationship with himself and set us down in this garden and said, be fruitful and multiply and and enjoy the abundance that is here in in Genesis. God's story is this, this invitation to to live into what he created us to be and and to do, and that is to be a people who are in relationship with himself and also in relationship with one another. When we get to the end of Genesis 2, what we know beyond any shadow of a doubt is that we were created by God for relationship with God and relationship with one another. And yet if you tell the corresponding story, which is our story that also runs all the way through the Bible, What you have is the story of a people who say to themselves, surely there's got to be something more to it than that. Surely there must be a catch in all of that. What is it that's lurking behind this offer of abundance and rest and relationship? We can't trust that. We've got to listen to the voice of that serpent and mistrust the intentions of God and run out in pursuit of our own kinds of rest that we will create for ourselves. There's got to be a catch, and we're going to find it. And the best way is to strike out on our own without God. So let's go looking for what that is. Those are the two stories that the Bible tells. And and once we, we have the initial story of disobedience in Genesis, really it's a series of stories about our inability to listen, and also about the call of the prophets to to keep reminding us that the offer of rest is still open. 
The prophets speak in many and various ways, as the writer of Hebrews says in Psalm 81. It's the, uh, also a psalm set like Psalm 95 in the context of the, the wilderness wanderings and the exodus. It says, Oh, that my people would, would listen to me, that they would, they would hear my voice. Uh, I would feed them with the, the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock I would satisfy them. In other words, you pay no attention to me, people, and yet here I am, says God, waiting to offer you abundance. The same thing is true in Isaiah 55 when, when he says, you know, if anyone's thirsty, come to the waters, and if you have no money, come, buy, and eat. And then the question comes a little later, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. And God says, hearken diligently to me. Listen, incline your ear to me and hear that your soul might live. And I will satisfy you with a rich feast. God's invitation is to satisfaction, to abundance, to rest. Our suspicion runs us in the absolute opposite direction of that invitation. So the writer of Hebrews picks up this same invitation. He says, take care that you not miss it. Let us us strive to, to enter this rest. So what is this rest that the Bible is talking about? You know, a lot of times what we think about when we think about entering into rest is something that's printed on on headstones or uh, memorial service bulletins. The good news is there's something more to it than that because that rest is available to us now and not just simply after we die. But rest in its, in its first context in the Bible has to do with God resting from creation and, and enjoying his work. And then, then we move to another application of, of rest, and, and it, it has to do with the people of, of Israel who are perched on the verge of, of going into their own land, who are going to end their wilderness wandering, going to end the instability that came with being a people with no name and, and with no land. And they're going to enter into God's rest, the land of Canaan. But the land is just an image for something bigger than itself that God is inviting us to. And even when the people moved into the land, they didn't quite understand what it meant to live in God's rest. And in fact, you could even make the argument that they, once they had an abundance, stopped trusting God (laughs) even with what they needed to trust him with in the wilderness. But the land is an image of something bigger than itself. When the Bible talks about rest, what it's talking about is rest from the relentless pursuit of what we think we need to prove ourselves worthy, to give ourselves an identity, to achieve a kind of credibility or to acquire a kind of security that keeps us safe. What rest is is the feeling of belonging, and of understanding that we're home. It's the ability, if you will, to stop. And the ability to stop because we've arrived and can now enjoy what we've achieved. It's kind of saying, I've made it. I'm done. And it's very good. And so we rest, just as God rested at the end of his creation. And this is what God keeps offering to us this offer of of rest. But still, we 
seem to want to prefer, and that's our story, to prefer to create or try to create this for ourselves. Try to create our own sources of rest. And inevitably, we fail miserably at it. You know, if you're like me, you, you take the weekends as an opportunity often to, uh, uh, to get things done um, around the house. And, and I always have this, this grandiose notion that um, I'm going to finish this list and then rest. <laughs> it's really weird the way things keep getting added to the list. It's kind of like logging on to some Internet site and following links, you know. You just... You're just getting farther and farther out from the end of the list. And, and invariably, when I come to the end of the list and sit down in a chair, there's something right in front of me that needs doing. That's my own attempt to create rest. Or maybe take the image of, of a family who scrimps and, and saves and, and is doing so that they can take their ideal dream vacation to Disneyland. They're going to head to the Magic Kingdom. They've got the kids fly free on Alaska Airlines. They've got three days in the Disneyland Hotel. And they're going, to, they're going to be in the Magic Kingdom, experiencing that magic in the happiest place on earth. Have you ever watched families at Disneyland? <laughs> the happiest place on earth about 3 o'clock in the afternoon or 10 o'clock at night, is not very happy often. What you hear is, just be quiet or we won't go to the parade. (laughs) An attempt to enter into our own rest. An attempt to create the the fulfillment of, of, of ending our labor. And we end up failing at it. And it's really the result of our fatal flaw, of missing the point of it all. Missing the point that God created us for relationship with himself and one another and and thinking that the real point is the goal of rest that we've identified for ourselves somewhere out in the future. And in essence, it's the essence of sin, trying to be God and create our own sources of rest rather than relating to and trusting in God to be God. When the people were on the verge of entering the land of Canaan in in Kadesh Barnea, they were on the the verge of of belonging, of security, of of having enough, of of entering the land and of, of having a place that they could call their own. And so they sent spies into the land as George was talking to us last week and telling us about this. And the spies came back and what did they say? They said, oh, wow, this place, is, this place is great, but there's giants that live there. There's giants that live there, and there's, there's no way we're going to defeat those giants. As George put it very well last week, they, the people began to believe the illusion of the spies, that the illusion of control that the spies possessed, that if the giants were going to go away, it was going to only be the result of their labor in getting them out. And so they hesitated, they stopped, they turned away. They, in essence, chose not, at that point, to enter God's rest. But nevertheless, 
the invitation still exists. As the writer of Hebrews tells us, even when they went into the land, they didn't acquire this rest. There is a, a greater rest that God is, is offering us. That, that rest was not achieved when Joshua crossed the Jordan and, and entered, them, entered the people into the land of Canaan. But the invitation to rest is still being offered. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that it's being offered even more wonderfully and completely and ultimately in the person of Jesus. And so he warns his readers, don't neglect this great salvation. Listen. Listen today and accept this rest rather than trying to create your own. Make every effort to enter this rest afforded to us by God. Make every effort to enter the rest. Well, that's kind of what we do when we're creating our own rest. How is this any different? How is striving to enter into God's rest any different than the striving we do to create our own rest? Well, it's, it's quite different. Because the striving we do to enter God's rest is about listening. And it's about listening to a voice that reminds us and reroots us in the reality that we're not the creators of rest, but that God is. It's about listening to the voice of Jesus. About listening to and letting in this ultimate word of God, this Jesus who transforms us. It's about making space. And when we do this, we find that this word changes us. If you look at verses 12 and 13, there's a description of the, of the transformation that this, this word, this, this one, this, this living word Jesus does for us and, and, and creates in us. Indeed, the word of God is, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Indeed, excuse me, I already read that. And before him, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render account. The invitation to let him in is the invitation to make ourselves available to and open to transformation. Because you see, this word, this Jesus holds up a mirror before us and shows us who we are and who we're not. That whole image of the, of the sword literally cutting into us, uh, dissecting us, if you will, laying bare that which needs transformation. And yet also, if we follow up in the next line, that transformation does not come without the assurance that this one who opens us up has shared in everything we have ever had to experience, both in terms of joy and pain. We understand as we are looking into the face of Jesus that we are limited and naked and needy. But what we also understand as we look into the face of Jesus is that we are loved and offered what we cannot create for ourselves. And what we understand when we consider the life and ministry of Jesus is that we can trust this God who has asked us to listen to him, to allow his word into our lives. We can trust him because he has identified with us in every respect. 
Look at verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest. Since our advocate has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is not only a word that changes us. This is a word in which we can trust. And we can trust it because the one who who enters our lives, the one who asks us to put ourselves in his hands, did the same thing with us. He put himself in our hands. That the one who was born as a vulnerable baby in a manger, who shared our lives in every respect, who died an inglorious and, and debilitating, painful, painful death at the hands of a betrayer. That this one knows every pain that could possibly pass through our hearts and every joy that we might experience. He has put himself in our hands and therefore we can trust and put ourselves in his. And so the writer says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Let us make every effort to behold, to listen to, to pay attention to this one, this Jesus who challenges us in asking him to follow, asking us to follow, but also invites us to rest as he welcomes us into his embrace. You know, throughout the journey of discipleship, there is a striving or there is an interplay between striving and resting. That Paul says it perhaps the best in Philippians 2 when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you uh, to will and to work for his good pleasure. Jesus is the word who challenges us to live, who invites us to follow, to run the race with endurance, to lay aside the things that trip us up, as as the writer says later in chapter 12. But he's also the one who invites us to rest to come to him and to enjoy relationship with him. And what we need to know, it's that the rest, it is the rest that inspires the race, not the other way around. It's belonging to him that fuels our lives. It's his welcome that inspires our striving, not our striving that earns his welcome. But what he's ultimately asking us to do is to lay aside our own way and to come and participate in his. And to receive the rest that we know when we're participating in that something bigger than our own plan. We spend our lives trying to create our own sources of rest. And Jesus keeps inviting us to his ultimate source. A couple of weeks ago, I was um, driving home. Uh, I was in the in the evening and uh, uh, at rush hour, and I was I was ready to turn right north onto Aurora off of 155th on my way home. Yes, I live up near the Canadian border in Shoreline. Um, 
Um, and uh, as I stopped there and kind of watched all the cars stream by like corpuscles in a blood vessel, practically, they, I noticed to my left there was a car that, that came up beside me that was going to be going straight through the intersection. And, and in this car, there was a young woman. And there were two car seats in the back of the car uh, occupied by two young children. And she was on her cell phone. And uh, the car was almost like pulsing uh, at the stop sign. You know, it, it felt like it felt like she was almost, a, a, you know, waiting for the drag race to start. Um, and when the light turned green, she was going to, to tear out. You know, I don't know anything of her story, but she came for me. She became for me in that moment a kind of image of creating our own rest, and something that we're all dealing with every single day. Two kids in the back seat that she's probably just picked up from daycare. She's probably on the phone finishing business that didn't get done at work because she had to get there before the daycare closed. Who knows? Maybe she was going to continue on on 155th and have to stop by Central Market to pick up a rotisserie chicken because she didn't have time to cook anything. But our lives just pulsate. And all of this we do, for the most part, in order to rest, in order to create that space for family, in order to pay for the mortgage, in order to have the time to be together. But we get home and instead of resting, a lot of times what it's about is collapsing. And we miss the very point of what we thought we were doing all of this to achieve. That's where most of us live. We live trying to create a rest for ourselves. And the rest that we try to create for ourselves is just not very restful. But thank God that the invitation that he offers just keeps getting offered over and over again. And one of my favorite depictions of it is what Jesus says in Matthew 11. When he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. And I will give you rest, peace for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His offer is pretty clear. Exchange the burden of trying to create your own rest. Let go of it. And instead, let me fit you with my easy yoke. Let me make you a part of what I'm doing. Let me give you rest for your souls. Because you can be a part of what I'm doing. You can be a part of what I'm doing rather than having to take it on all by yourself. Let's pray. Your offer is clear, Lord. So focus our attention on the one who is the source of the, of the offer. Help us to see the baby in the manger. 
the teacher on the mount, the man on the cross. Help us to understand, Jesus, that your arms are open. Help us to hear your voice and to say yes to your invitation. For we pray in your name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.